Good morning. My name is Katie Lamoureux, and I am obviously not Jim. Um, <laughs> um, I will tell you a little bit about um, how, how we met, but um, I'd like to start, obviously, with our scripture. So our scripture today comes from Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like that other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to the heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Right. It is so good to be with you this morning. Did you guys enjoy your extra hour of sleep? Yeah. All the parents in the room are like, what extra hour, right? Yeah, I feel you. Um, as I said, my name is Katie Lamoureux. I am a senior at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And yes, they do let Methodists in. So <laughs> um, I am a licensed local pastor and will be going before the Board of Ordained Ministry in the spring to be commissioned as a pastor, as an ordained elder. Yes, I'm excited and nervous. Thank you. Um, so I have to tell you how I met uh, Pastor Jim. Um, there's lots of interviews along the way of becoming like an, inter, um, an ordained elder, like a lot. Um, and he was one of the people who intervie- interviewed me at the last one, which was like a big one. Um, and somehow I ended up here. <laughs> he's like, hey, you want to preach? I'm like, cool, sure. Um, the first thing I learned is that he's a Bears fan. And so I'm sad that he's not here because I really wanted to remind him of the last game where the Cowboys destroyed <laughs> the Bears. Um, so I'm sure that he will give me a hard time later. So, <laughs> as you, I am a huge Cowboys fan. So, but um, as we start this morning, will you please pray with me? God, may your words be my words. May our ears hear what you have for us to hear, and may our hearts be open to new wonders and knowledge. Amen. So today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke. Um, This story may or may not be something that you have heard before, but before we dive into this story, I think it's important for us to take a moment. I want us to explore a little bit of where this story is coming from. The Gospel of Luke is one of what they call the Synoptic Gospels, if you don't know, along with Matthew and Mark. Synoptic just simply means that these three books follow about the same story of Jesus' life. Um, The Gospel of Luke, it was written near the end of the first century, maybe early second century, after the destruction of the temple. So the Jewish people were having kind of a hard time during this time, but we wouldn't know anything about that, right? (laughs) 
The author of Luke is unknown, but we do know that the author of Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and Acts is often sometimes called the um, volume two. Um, We know by the way that the language is used that it was written for a larger community, not just the Jewish people, but it was written for a broader community, the Gentiles and the Romans and other people who might have been around. Um, And it was often shown that this Jesus character was for everybody. Um, Okay, so now you can nudge your neighbor and wake them up after the history lesson. So, but why do we ask these questions? Why is this important? I believe if we know the context in which a story is written, we can better understand the story. As for the Bible, if we know the context... It even helps us know a little bit more about Jesus and about God. In Luke 18, the story comes between um, a parable about justice and the blessing for children. Um, All surrounding this story, we talk about faithfulness. So knowing that Jesus is focusing on faithfulness in this part of Luke can help us figure out what this story is trying to tell us. So this story starts out with these words. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. From the very beginning of this parable, Jesus is calling out those who think they are above or better than others. I have never been guilty of thinking that I am better than someone else. Not when I've been the last one standing in dodgeball and not to brag, but this happened a lot when I was in elementary school. (laughs) Not now. (laughs) Or if I get a better grade on a paper or an exam, which happens a lot less. (laughs) This parable was written for those people, right? Honestly, I think we are those people from time to time. So maybe this parable was written for us. As we explore this story, it's easy to put ourselves in the shoes of the tax collector. God, I am unworthy. I am a sinner. I know. I know I've made mistakes. Good thing I'm not like the Pharisee. Wait, at least I can see the ways that I am unrighteous. Hold on. And in that moment, we have done exactly what the Pharisee does in this story. So what is Jesus trying to tell us in this story? What do we learn about the character of Jesus? Now, us as modern-day Christians— With the whole story of Jesus and time on our side, we're not shocked when Jesus tells this story. To us, it makes sense that Jesus would use the tax collector as an example. But this story would have been shocking for the people who were listening to Jesus at this time. To those Jesus was teaching, this story took an unexpected twist. Who was the most righteous to them? It was obvious. It was the Pharisee. 
He not only followed the Jewish laws, but he went above and beyond. He had dedicated his life to God. I mean, he even points it out in his prayer, right? The tax collector, on the other hand, were known for their dishonesty. They were not looked at in high regard. They were like working for the man. And that kind of gave them a bad reputation. So what Jesus does is surprising. He flips the narrative. He does the unexpected. Jesus claims that the tax collector, not the Pharisee, went home acknowledged and justified before God. Now, when I was a kid, I went to church camp every summer. You might be familiar, Glen Lake Camp. I don't know if we have any Glen Lake Camp goers. Um, yeah, there we go. One in the back. <laughs> It was my favorite week out of the entire summer. I went every year from fourth grade all the way until I graduated, the summer after I graduated um, my senior year. We played games, we floated in the lazy river, we worshiped, we sang, we hiked, um, and of course we ate, right? Three meals a day in a giant dining hall on the far side of camp. When it was mealtime, we would line up outside the dining hall, kind of swivel around in the parking lot, all 300-plus kids and all the adults. And um, as you could probably guess, when it was time for dinner or lunch or breakfast, everybody would take off running and get to the front of the line, right? Um, I was usually near the middle. Let's just say I was near the middle. <laughs> but once a week, as we lined up, the camp director would go to the back of the line and lead them into the dining hall and reverse the line, where the back of the line would get to eat first. So all those boys that ran the fastest got to eat last. This parable makes me think of the meal line at camp. Just like the camp director switched the line, Jesus switches the story. Jesus is telling people listening that the tax collector is the person to be like in this story. We're not justified. We're not acknowledged before God because of all the greatness that we have done. It's not because of the number of times we've been to church or the other religious check boxes that we have might have checked. Jesus is saying in this parable that we should come before God with all that we are, the good and the bad admitting our faults, and as the phrase goes, humbly before our God. Maybe we're good at that. Maybe many of us um, don't need reminding that we make mistakes, that we're often not our best. I mean, we literally have a prayer of confession that helps us claim these things. In our prayer of confession during communion, we say, we have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cries of the needy. Maybe we relate to the tax collector more than we relate to the Pharisee. So let's look at the story in a little bit of a different way. What else can we see from this story? 
What else is Jesus telling us? I think Jesus is telling us something about the other. The other being someone you might not associate with regularly. Someone you may not get along with. Or someone who thinks or believes a little bit differently than you. If we look at the parable, the Pharisee sees the tax collector as the other. I mean, he even gives thanks for not being like that guy. If that's not othering someone, I'm not sure what is. I also wonder if the tax collector's feeling of unworthiness is because he's comparing himself to the Pharisee. He's not worthy. He didn't dedicate his life. He doesn't tithe. He doesn't do these things. He doesn't check these boxes. We may relate to the tax collector in the way that we admit our unworthiness of the love of God. But I feel like we can relate to the Pharisee, admittedly, when I come in contact with people that are the other. So for a moment, I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisee. Like we don't do that a lot. We've done all the right things. We've gone the extra mile. We've devoted our life to God. We've given thanks for what we have in our life. And we see someone across the room who is despised by people. Someone who is known to be dishonest, lower class, less than faithful, less devout, less worthy in our eyes. This person is the other. Then, just as the line at camp has gotten switched, the narrative again switches, and God says, not you, but the other, the sinner, the less faithful, the less worthy, is the prayer that I acknowledge, is the one that is justified in my eyes. Ooh, ouch. So how might we look at the other? I came across a story this week about um, a retired principal and um, a guy who was in like a biker gang who created this unlikely friendship. Um, the retired principal was what you would imagine a retired principal might look like, kind of a stern-looking man, pretty serious, um, kind of shy. And he played the organ at church and was very devout, made sure he was at church every week. And the guy who was in the biker gang showed up occasionally to church, might have looked a little bit rougher, rode his motorcycle to church every time he did come. And he decided to ask this um, individual, the retired principal, to lunch on his motorcycle. And he was like, for sure this guy is going to say no. Like, for sure. And he didn't. And the retired principal said, I would love to come. 
hopped on the back of this individual's motorcycle, and they had lunch together. And they had a wonderful time. They grew this friendship, and they would regularly go out to lunch together. And he would hop on the guy's the back of the guy's motorcycle, and they would ride together to lunch. After、um, this retired principal had passed away,、um, his friend came up and shared this friendship with the family, and they had no idea about this friendship. I see this as a beautiful example of how we might treat the other, as we step out of the shoes of the Pharisee. What can we do? The first step, I think, is recognizing in the times the times in which we other people. When we say, "I'm so glad I'm not like that person," or when we say, "I can't stand people who say, who believe, who think this way," and I feel like we all do that sometimes, and I know, I know, I do. And the next step is to close that gap between yourself and the other person. As the Pharisee seems to look across the temple and be thankful that he's not like that person, I think we are called to walk across the room. We're called to close the gap and to reach out. We are to recognize the love that God has. For the person across the room, the fact that they are whoever they are, a beloved child of God. If we see them as loved, it's harder to dislike the other. So, walk across the room, send the text message, ask someone for coffee or lunch. Start an intentional conversation. We can always make claims that we are better or worse than those around us. We can always claim that we are more worthy of love or completely undeserving of love. We can always claim to sit in the seat of the Pharisee or in the seat of the tax collector. We can also stop and remember that we are beloved children of God, and that our neighbor, that the other across town, across the country, or sometimes across the table, are also beloved. Maybe the Pharisee and the tax collector can eat at the same table. Maybe they can ride a motorcycle together, and see each other as beloved children of God. So may we stop comparing ourselves to others. May we stop claiming whether we are more or less worthy. But may we unite with the other, together, and claim that we are beloved children of God. Will you please pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this time together. As we think about the worthiness of ourselves and those around us, God, give us 
the courage to walk across the room. Give us the courage to send the texts, to have the conversations with those that we find just a little different than ourselves. And God, remind us that we are all beloved children of God. In your name that we pray. Amen.